and he bids us come. He invites us to come. Thank you, ladies. Boys and girls, Children's Church is waiting for you. If you'll go, please. Quietly, quickly, without running. There you go. Next month, new month, November, if I remember correctly, I think David and uh, Rachel will be heading up Children's Church during the month of November. Take your Bibles, please, if you will, and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. As we continue our study of the book of Ephesians, it is good to preach through Bible books verse by verse. Don't do it all the time. Uh, it's easy for me to do because I believe it's the best way to teach and preach the Bible. It's difficult to do because I just have all these other topics that go through my mind all during the week. I say, well, I need to preach on this. And I say, well, I need to preach on that. And I see somebody else in here. I say, well, I need to preach on that. That would help them. And then somebody else says, boy, they need this. I'd preach on that. You, well, you know, you end up preaching over the Bible to help everybody and try to cover all the topics. And if you just listen, and some people say, yeah, that's the best way to do it. You don't go buy Bible books. Others say, no, wait a minute. If you preach through the Bible books, you're going to cover these topics. Like this morning uh, in, in Ephesians, as, as we've heard, as we know now, you know, God has said to believers, look, and stop living like, don't live like unsaved people. Because you have heard Christ, you've, you've, you've heard the truth, you have learned about Jesus Christ, you've come to trust the Lord, you've been saved, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, you're a new person, you've put off the old man, now you have the spirit of God dwelling in you and you have a new mind, so don't live like the heathen live, and then after he uh, covers that subject, then he says, well now let's get a little bit more specific and let's talk about some commandments that you need to observe. And we've already looked at the first two. First of all, he said, why don't you take a quick look, if you will, please, at verse five, or 25, Ephesians 4, 25. He said, let's talk about telling the truth. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So commandment number one, stop lying. Always tell the truth. Command number two was then in verse 26. We looked at this last week. Be ye angry... And sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Do not be angry. There is such a thing as righteous anger. Holy anger. Righteous indignation. Even when you experience that, which we should regularly. God says, be careful. Do not sin while you're filled with righteous anger. And do not, whatever you do, don't go to bed mad. Don't let anger control you and linger. Whatever it is that you're burdened about, whatever it is you're angry about, whether it's righteous anger or sinful anger, don't, don't take it to bed with you. Get it taken care of. Trust in the Lord, okay? So now today we go to commands number three and four. We're going to look at the third and fourth command, that commands that God gives us here in Ephesians chapter four. So our text this morning is verse, our verses 27 and 28. Two commands here in two verses. First of all, 27, neither give place to the devil. Verse 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. I've, I've, I've mentioned this so many times in talking with people, it's hard to get out of my mind, and I kind of start wanting to read the verse like that, but you know the importance of, of commas and you know, knowing how the Bible, you know, the sentence structure in the Bible if you, don't, if you just throw all that out, you've got something like this. Let him that stole, steal. No more let him labor with his hands. You see what I'm saying? Okay. You say, wait a minute, that's not what it says. No. Let him that stole, steal no more. Rather, let him labor with his hands. 
So we have a command, first of all, in verse 27, just a short verse, neither give place to the devil. In the Greek language, now, this, can, this uh, forbids something that is already going on. It forbids the continuance of an action that's already going on. Not all, not all now, but most Bible teachers would connect verse 27 with verse 26. They would say that it really follows on the heels of 26, and it all goes together. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. So they kind of connect the two, and they talk about the importance of having our anger under control. Why? Because Satan is really happy when anger controls a Christian rather than a Christian controlling his anger. We've probably heard the saying regarding laziness, idleness. Have you heard this? The devil tempts an idle man, but... Can you finish it? The devil tempts an idle man, but... An idle man tempts the devil. Okay, well, that same thing could be true about the subject of anger. An angry man tempts the devil, but again, on the other side now, uh, I mean, the devil tempts an angry man, but an angry man tempts the devil. I mean, you want Satan to go to work, just, just, just get angry and stay angry. Just don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Just let it linger overnight and wake up the next morning and keep on going with it. You know, when that is the way we are, for whatever reason, as we talked about last week, Satan thrives on that. He wants to come in, and so God says, look, don't give place to the devil. Give place, very important. What does that mean, give place? Do not give place, neither give place to the devil. Give place has the sense of opportunity. That's a key word, an opportunity, or the word power. An occasion, a reason or an occasion, a starting place for action. In fact, a good paraphrase would read like this. And stop giving an opportunity for the devil to act. (laughs) Do not, do whatever you can to fight against Satan, don't give him an opportunity to get to work. He's already at work. Uh, this, this is a, a good parallel here would be the subject of our, our sinful flesh. Remember Romans 13, 14? He says, and put, God says, and put ye on, this is for believers, and put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I've quoted that verse a couple of times recently. Don't give our fleshly nature an opportunity to go to work. Don't give it a jump start. Okay, don't, don't, don't provide a, a, a starting point, a springboard. For, it, it's, it's already hard at work. We don't have to help it out. And another verse that would go along with that would be Galatians 5.13. Brethren, you have been called unto, you know the next word? Right, brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Freedom in Christ, not legalism, freedom, liberty. Brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Oh, caution, only let not your liberty become a and occasions, the word there, a starting place, an opportunity for your flesh to go to work. And there's a lot of people today in our churches that need that. There's all kinds of focus on liberty, freedom in Christ, and grace. And it's all biblical, that's fine. But God says, that's wonderful, that's good. But do not give that liberty a starting place for your flesh to go to work. And there's all kinds of professing Christians today doing all kinds of things saying, well, I'm free in Christ. I'm, I have liberty. I'm just enjoying my liberty. We don't have liberty to sin, okay? Saint says, do not give your liberty an occasion, a starting place, an opportunity for your fleshly nature to go to work. Do not give place here, he says, neither give place to the devil. Don't give an opportunity for the, for the devil to go to work. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Do you know those words? Do you know those verses? 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, 
whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Let me quote that again. We've had people coming in and out. I'm saying, and everybody's wondering what's going on. I am too, but it'll be okay. It'll all work out okay, okay? But listen carefully now. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may what? Devour. Now, what does God say for believers? Whom resist steadfast. What does resist mean? It means to stand against, to fight against. It's the opposite of giving place to. It's the opposite of giving an opportunity to. It's the opposite of being a, a, a providing a springboard, an opening, giving an advantage. He says, no, resist him, resist him steadfast in the faith. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We won't turn to it this morning, but in that, and Brother Tillman taught this a few weeks ago in Sunday school. Amen, Chris? We remember that, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And there's a tremendous, this, this thing, neither give place to the devil here in, in our text, verse 27. In 2 Corinthians, Paul addresses the believers there, and he says, listen, back in chapter, you know, back in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, he had this chapter, there was a chapter on church discipline. Somebody was openly openly committing, uh, committing the sin of fornication and the believers may not do anything about him. And Paul says, look, you need to, you need, if he's not going to get right with the Lord, if he's not going to repent, if he's not going to confess, if he's not going to change his lifestyle, then you, you need to put him out. Church discipline, okay? Withdrawing fellowship from. And it seems that the people did that. And then the man repented. He asked for forgiveness. He came back and said, I've got it right with the Lord now. It's all taken care of. And the Corinthians, some of them were a little slow to get him back, to take him back. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, and he says to these people, no, if he's repented and sought forgiveness, then you need to forgive him. Listen to what he says. Don't, don't refuse to forgive him, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Think about that. Forgive him. Forgive him. Forgive him. Why? Because if you don't, Satan can gain an advantage of us. That's that same idea here, the starting point, this opportunity. And he says, we are not ignorant of his devices. You know, not many people uh, go door-to-door -door in sales anymore. That's good or bad. I think I'd rather have somebody knock at my door once a month than get 25 calls a day, or do you, you want to sell your house? Anybody else in this church? Everybody... I mean, I, get, I can't even tell you. I mean, I wish I could block them all. You know, I mean, it's like every day I'm sure I get at least two, maybe three calls. Is your house, for, we want to buy your house. You don't have to clean it up. And I've got a card, got an, and car, if that's not, I've got a postcard in the mail yesterday. You don't have to clean it up. Don't have to repair it. Don't have to do anything. We buy it as is. They didn't tell you to give you practically nothing for it. And we'll sell no closing, no closing costs. It's, I mean, it's just an easy way for you to make fast bucks. I'm thinking that's an easy way for you to lose a lot of money. So all you folks that are calling me about that, if you listen to me on Facebook, don't call me anymore, please, okay? I'd rather have somebody knock at my door once a month than sell, trying to sell me a vacuum cleaner, you know, a water purifier, you know, something, anything. But, you know, it used to be just like, oh, man, don't let, that, don't, don't let him get his what? Foot in the door. Once he gets his foot in the door, you're going to have a hard time closing it. So don't let him get his foot in the door. They're slick. They know what they're doing. They want to sell you those encyclopedias, man. I'm, oh, never mind, okay. They get that little foot in the door, and it's not long, and they're standing in the entrance. Wait, it's not long. They're sitting next to you on the sofa. It's not long. You spent $568.45. That's the idea here when he says, neither give place to the devil. Don't let him get his foot in the door. Don't help him out. 
And by the way, before we get to our next command, this verse, it may not be connected with verse 26. Most believe that it is. It's a follow-through, okay? But if it is not, it really doesn't matter in the fact that this is true about any and every area of our life. It's not just about anger. No, you can take any area of life you want to think about, any area of life, the life of a Christian, God says, you need to be very careful. Satan is very powerful. He's very slick. He's very subtle. He works overtime. He's, he's a spirit being. He's got lots of experience. And he will try to get in and mess up your life. Do not give him an opportunity if you can help it. You resist him. You stand up against him. That is a command in Ephesians 4. And I'll tell you, folks, we need, we need to do that. I do not brag on myself when I say this, but just if I could as an illustration, I think I experienced this about three weeks ago. I remember that I found out that the teens were going to Ponca City for youth rally. And I checked on my calendar, and that was when OU played Texas. Now, I like to watch OU football when I can. Once in a while, I watch OSU. You know, I enjoy that, okay? Try to limit it to one game a week. Don't think that's too sinful, okay? But that was OU Texas. Now, if I don't get to watch any of the other games, I like to watch OU Texas. It's just something about that game. I want to win more than all the rest. Are you with me? Ron Smith would not be proud of me right now, but that's okay. And that's the day of this youth rally. And at that time, we didn't know how many teens were going. We didn't know if we'd need one car, two cars, a van, whatever. And I was sitting in my office, and I'm thinking, you know, I love these young people. I'm so thankful for our teenagers in our church. I'm so thankful for Brother and Mrs. Kane and all the work they do. And, you know, I could go and show an interest in these young people. I could go and help drive something, just be there. And that's OU Texas game. Well, is that, so is that the biggest deal now? Is that, is that going to run your life? And I decided I would text David Kane and I would say, David, that you're going to Ponca City. I don't know if you can use me or not, but I'd like to go. If I go, I won't go to be in charge. I'll just go like an adult sponsor and have a great time. If you need me, I'll do something, but I, I just want to be a... And you say, why'd you do that? Because I knew in my thinking, this is one of those tests that come along sometimes. Some things are not sinful, but they can become sinful if they, if they get such a high priority that spiritual things take a back seat. And I thought, I don't ever want to give serving the Lord a back seat to watch an OU play Texas if I can help it. So I said to David, I'd like to go. I already made up my mind. If he said, I don't need you, I'd go anyway. I don't know how I talked to him at that point. And he didn't need me. We went in the van. All I did, you know what my part was? I gassed up the van the day before and cleaned it out. That's all I did. I got in the van. I sat in the back seat. I ought to. His wife went too. I'm not going to put her in the back seat, so I'm sitting in the second seat. And Dave drove the van there. I offered to drive. He said, I'll drive. He drove. He drove back. I mean, I, I just, all I did was just ride along. And, you know, and when I got there, I'm so proud of myself. I left my phone in the van purposely. I did not turn it on going there. I mean, I turned it on for whatever reason. I did not, nothing about the game. When we got there, I, I left the phone in the van on purpose. I said, I don't want to check my phone. If I'm going to come, I want to enjoy these young people. I want to get in on the singing and the preaching and all the fun. And I know if I don't want to be checking my phone. So I left my phone in the van. You know, I said, why'd you do that? Lest Satan did get an advantage. You follow me? See what I'm talking about? So my mind was on those young people. My mind was on their activities. My mind was on the singing and the, and the preaching of the word of God. And then afterwards, 
I thought, well, why don't you go get your phone and just check on the score? I said, no, don't get your phone. Don't get your phone. Leave it in a van. And I went out there, and he said, well, you recorded it, so you're going to watch it at night. I don't know how to record stuff on our TV. I'm, all I'm telling you was, I'm thinking, there's nothing wrong with watching a good football game. I love to do that. But I don't ever want it to become first place in my heart, in my life. And other things that are more important, no, gotta, can't, can't be doing that, okay? Now, God says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. If it is connected, fine with that. If it's about any other subject, it doesn't matter. Neither give place to the devil. When you know he would like to get a foothold, a toehold in something in your life, if you can, resist him. Resist him with all your might. Keep the Lord first. Then he goes to the next verse. Let him that stole steal no more. Rather, let him labor, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Rather, rather, excuse, let, let him rather labor, working with his hands, a thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So we have the next command here is, we're not to steal. He goes from the subject of anger, the subject of not giving Satan an opportunity, to the, another subject now of stealing, working, giving. We are not to steal. But rather, he says, we're to work hard, and we're to work hard for a special purpose. So we go from stealing to sharing. We go from taking to giving. And uh, we're working and giving because we're busy doing the right thing, not because we're out stealing. First of all, he says, we're not to steal. This is not a new commandment. What's the eighth commandment of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not steal. We all know what steal means. I don't think we have to go into a, a deep definition of stealing. What is stealing? Taking something that is not yours. I wrote it down this week. To take wrongfully, that is, without permission, something which is not yours with no intent to return it. Now, there are a lot of different ways to steal. I've read more ways, I've read in the last two weeks preparing for this message, I've read, about, I've read about more ways to steal than you can imagine. I started writing them down, I thought, don't give anybody an idea, I never thought about that. <laughs> That's an easy way to steal. Never thought about that. Yeah, you could pull that off pretty fast, and, and you could get some pretty big stuff doing that, and I mean, whoa, no, it's a, don't, Pastor, don't give people ideas, okay, but you will agree, there are a lot of different ways to steal, so I'm not, I'm not even listing any today, none. God says, don't do it. Do not steal. If it's not yours, don't take it wrongfully. And part of taking it wrongfully is that you know you have no intent to give it back. Stealing is universal. It's a universal sin. Stealing is a very, very common sin. The other night, my wife and I, I don't go too often, but we, we were running through Walmart for some reason. Oh, I know what it was. My, my electric razor uh, finally gave out, so I went and got another one. So we went out to eat, and we stopped at Walmart and did a little shopping there real fast. And we're going through the self-checkout thing, you know what I mean? You pick it up, and you put a barcode, and you put it in the bag. And I said to my wife, you know, it seems like it would be pretty easy for people to steal here. I mean, you, you know, one item, check it up, put it in there. One item, you put it in there. So what happens if a guy just goes like that and puts it in there? Who would ever know that? She said, are you thinking about it? No, see what I was going to say. Okay, it's like... I'm sure it happens every day. We have no idea how many people make their living shoplifting. You say, you weren't going to give illustrations. I'm sorry, it just came out. I'm just going to say, it, 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 it can happen so fast, so easy, and it happens all over the world in so many different ways. God says, no, don't steal. Don't steal. Very, very common sin. Why do people steal? I thought of just a few. They're destitute. 
They're desperate. Does that make it right, folks? Doesn't make it right. God says don't steal. Even when you're destitute, when you're desperate. They're covetous. Got to have it. Got to have it. Want it, got to have it. Too lazy to work. Easy way, steal it. Why work for it? You can steal it. Uh, they're idle too often. Don't have enough to do. So just a spare time, go steal something, all right? They just like the challenge and the thrill of stealing. It's just a challenge. It's a thrill. Can I pull this off and not get caught? Uh, somebody dares them to do it. Or perhaps they feel like they deserve it. I mean, I really deserve that. Is that yours? No. But I deserve it. So they steal it. Like every other sin. Stealing, I'm sure, is fun. That's that's what sin is. Sin is disobeying God. Sin is doing something that God has said no. And there's something about every sinner man and every sinner woman and every sinner boy and girl. There's something about sinful nature that says, listen now, if I'm not supposed to do it, it makes it more fun to do it. You say, I don't know where you get that. That's in the Bible. The law, that's part of the law. The law sometimes encourages us to sin. It gives us some pleasure, some special pleasure. It's like the the kid walking to school one day, you know. Just walks down the sidewalk, gets to the corner, goes that way, gets to school. And one day he comes out there and, you know, Mr. Brown, who lives on the corner there, he put a big sign in his yard. And you know what the sign says? Stay off the grass. Keep off the grass. And for the first time, Johnny says, Hmm, keep off the grass, huh? You can't keep off your grass. He comes down the sidewalk. He purposely cuts across the grass. He's never done that. He's never thought about doing it. But then he saw a sign that says, keep off the grass, and that means you. And he says, oh, yeah, sure. I've mentioned this before. Some big office building someplace. Nobody's ever shot out any windows. And then somebody decides they're going to put a big sign up there. It says, do not shoot at our windows. Trust me. But then the next week, there will be plenty of guys out there with their pickup trucks at 1 o'clock in the morning shooting at the windows. They never did that before. Never thought about it until they saw the sign that said, don't shoot at our windows. That's kind of the law sometimes provokes you to do that. That's just our sinful nature. That's kind of how it is sometimes with stealing. Our human nature just says, I'm not supposed to. But there's some pleasure in that. It's true about every sin, and it's true about stealing. But he says, God doesn't just say, God doesn't just say here, don't steal. He doesn't just command us not to steal. He tells us what to do instead of stealing, and he says, work. Let him that stole steal no more. Stop stealing. But rather, in its place, in contrast, let him labor, working with his hands. The thing which is good. So God says work, labor. What is that labor? The word here labor means to feel fatigue. It means to work hard. To work hard to the point of exhaustion. Genesis 2.25, listen. It is God's plan for people to always, listen. God's, God's plan for people really includes the idea of being prepared for responsibility of working. Genesis 2.15, and the Lord God took the man. He just created man. And he put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. It's just God's plan for people that they work. After Adam and Eve sinned, and God says to Adam in Genesis 3, 19, in the sweat of thy brow shalt thou eat bread. 
Somebody said, and I agree with this, it is God's plan for everyone to work who is able to work. It is God's plan for everyone to work who is able to work. Somebody else said, no man who is able to support himself has a right to depend upon others. That's a good quote. No man who is able to support himself has a right to depend upon others. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Listen, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 10 through 12. Listen, for, excuse me, for even when we were with you, Paul said, this we commanded you, that if any man would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk disorderly. Walking disorderly? What are they doing? Working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Now that is, that is a loaded verse. Let him that stole, steal no more, but rather let him work, laboring with his hands. Read it again. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, Neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now therefore them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. By the way, look at the verse. It says, let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good. We're supposed to work that which is good. What does that mean? The meaning that which is good means that which is beneficial. That which is useful, that which is profitable, um, that limits some jobs. For example, a Christian ought not work for a brewery. Working with hands, that which is good, that's not good. A Christian should not work for a casino. A Christian should not work for a theater. I mean, there are some jobs Christians just don't do. Work with his hands, that which is convenient. No, it doesn't say convenient. He says that which is good. That which is good, that which is profitable, that which is beneficial, that which is useful. When I was a student at BJ, uh, there was a big focus on helping young people to whatever their major was, whatever they plan to do after college, to try by the grace of God to develop a spirit of excellence and, 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 and working hard at it. And, and the the teaching was, listen, especially when you bring Christian service, that, that's, that ought to be understood, of course. But in any, in any job, in any, anything, you know, in any secular job, not just in Christian service now, but in a secular job, a Christian for reputation's sake, for testimony's sake, he ought to be known as the hardest worker in the company. He ought to be known as the person who, who, who does the best job. It's not about bragging rights. It's not about getting a pat on the back. It's not about getting a, a promotion, getting a raise or whatever else. It's all about the fact that I'm a Christian. I've been saved by the grace and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have the privilege of working for this company. And God is providing for my needs through my job. And as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a child of God, a person in the family of God, with God as my heavenly father, my father wants me to work hard. My father wants me to do the very best that I can do at whatever I do. That was a focus, and I appreciate that. It's all about testimony's sake. Now, we're to work hard, he says, now for a special reason. There's a purpose. This is the last part of the message here, okay? Let him that stole steal no more. Let, rather, let him labor, working with his hands a thing which is good. Why? So he can get a bigger TV, right? So he can recarpet the bedroom. So he can take a trip to Hawaii next year. 
so you can have a little extra money to put away for the future. I mean, what, so what are we supposed to do with this job, with our hard work? He says, that he may have to him, excuse me, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So God says, work hard, don't steal, but work hard for a purpose. We should work so that we may have something to give to others in need. We don't, in other words, we don't just, we don't just work to get, we work to give. And this, you know this, this goes against our natural way of thinking. I'll say more about that right at the very end of the message. We know others, in fact, Brother uh, Jim, filling in for Brother Brian, he mentioned this morning, this verse this morning in the Sunday School lesson, we know from other scriptures that working to, get, to meet the needs of our, our families, and meeting the needs of others, that includes especially our families, right? First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, but if any provide not for his own, provide not, work hard, provide for their needs, for if any provide not for his own, and, and, and especially those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. But working to provide for our own needs, working to provide for our own families, God says it doesn't stop there. We ought to work hard to provide for the needs of others, anybody who has a need. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And the expected answer is it doesn't. In other words, this is like true Christian love, and it is a, it is a, a, birth, it's a birthmark of a true believer. That God puts within a true believer a desire not just to have his own needs met, but also the needs of others, people who truly have a genuine need. This is the faith that works. James talked about, in fact, quickly go to James chapter 2. Just have a few minutes left. Go to James chapter 2, if you will, please. God says we work. So we have to give somebody a need. And James says, this is the faith that works. Look at verse 14. What did it profit my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and hath not works, can, faith, can that kind of faith save him? If a brother, illustration, if a brother or a sister be naked, doesn't say everybody out there that says they have a need. If a brother or a sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, and be ye warmed and filled, uh, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful for, for, to the body, what does it profit? What good is it? He says, even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. And so God says it's a proof of our salvation. John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, he's preaching, repent, and people come and say, well, put the, what do I do if I'm supposed to repent? What am I supposed to do? Listen to what John says, John the Baptist said in Luke chapter 3. Repent, the people ask. What shall we do? His answer was, he that hath two coats, let him impart or give to him that hath none. He that hath meat, let him do likewise. What did Jesus Christ say on the Sermon on the Mount? Give to him that asketh of thee. He goes on to say, we don't just give for our family and our friends. He says, we give to our enemies. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. You know, go further than I have to. I want to. It's in my heart. It's not just a law. I have to. I want to. It's not just legalism. It's the righteousness of Christ. He says, listen, give, give to those that, that, that especially he said, give to those that aren't going to give you anything. Give to those that hate you. Give, give to your enemies. And God says, listen, don't steal. Work hard. Have a good job, a profitable job, so that you have something to give to someone in need, even your enemies, even those that can't, they can't help you. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, listen to what Jesus says. When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and they recompense you, they give in return, it be made to you. When thou makest a feast, call the poor, call the maimed, 
Call the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. Thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. So what does Jesus say? You don't give to those. You don't work hard to give to somebody so they can give you back something. You work hard to give to someone that you don't expect anything from in return. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He says that we are to be, he says, we are to be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, which means to share. That's for believers. We are to be rich in good works. We are to be ready to distribute, to give out. We're ready to give to others, to share with others. You want to have some fun in your spare time. Read the book of Proverbs and underline all the verses that have something to say about giving to people in need, giving to the poor. You will underline a lot of verses in your Bible. I just jotted down just a few. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. Listen carefully. There is that watereth and yet increaseth. There is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat. He that watereth shall be watered also himself. Proverbs 22, 9. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth bread to the poor. Proverbs 28, 27. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Proverbs 28, 22. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. Proverbs 19, 17. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth, listen to this. He that hath pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord. And that which he hath given, he will repay him again. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. God says, I say, he that soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. And I want to say once again, that is not how most of us think. Our natural tendency is to think this. Look, I got to get a second job. And I might even want a third job. Because we have some more needs right here in our home. And we have some things that are really not needs now. They're wants. It would be nice to have this. It would be fun to have this. So a little extra money come in would sure help with this. And then, and then of course, someday I'm, I'm going to get old. And it's like I might run out of money. And so I better start saving a lot. Now, listen, it is not wrong to work to provide for ourselves and our family. Amen? It is not wrong to work and put aside some money for day, the day coming when we, we can't work. That is biblical. That is right. But we have to be careful because that's where most people stop. But our verse doesn't stop there. A verse says, let him that stole steal no more. But rather, let him, let him labor, working with his hands that which is good. Why? Just to meet his needs? Just to get bigger or better or more and more and have the needs and the greeds taken care of and, and just to save for the future when I might run out of money? No, God doesn't stop there. He says that he may give to him that needeth. That's others. I close with this. Dr. Albert Barnes sums it up. Listen to this. We should labor in order that we may have the means of doing good to others. It should be just as much a matter of plan and purpose to do this as it is to labor in order to buy a coat or to build a house or to live comfortably or to have the means of even a decent burial. Yet how few are those who have any such end in view or who pursue their daily toil definitely that they may have something to give away. Not many people live like that. Bow your heads, please, if you will.
I have talked fast this morning. And I've 